Good morning again, church. <laughs> this is actually water if you're concerned. I'm chugging water because um, I actually had coffee at home this morning and now I need lots of water. It's a pleasure to have this opportunity again oh, to preach the Word of God, to present the Word of the Lord. All right, let me get some of this cleaned up here. <laughs> so, we're going to start <clears throat> with a brief, brief review of what we've looked at in the past few chapters of Hebrews. We saw in chapter 1 how God has spoken to us by His Son in these last days. And how God has appointed Christ for our salvation. And we saw last week in Hebrews chapter 2 how Christ had to suffer in order to purchase this great salvation for us. And how he had to suffer in order to become our great high priest. And this week in chapter 3, we see another warning that we should take care to put our faith in Christ and to believe in the gospel, lest there be in us an unbelieving heart. And we will also see how Christ is greater than Moses. So those are some of the things that we are going to look at this week. We will read the chapter, then we will dive in this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 3, if you're not already there. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom 
was he provoked for 40 years. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your perfect, infallible word that doesn't err. It cannot err. It is perfect. We thank you so much for blessing us with this written, true revelation. And we ask that you would do what only you can do today, Lord, and that's by your spirit that you would open our eyes to better see Christ, to better understand your gospel, and to have a greater reverence for the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to break this whole chapter down into a few different sections. Our first section we're going to go through is going to be three verses one through six. So back at the beginning, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. These holy brothers that he's talking about, that's, that's, that's us. We are Christians. We are the holy brethren, holy through Christ. So he's talking about believers. And we share in a heavenly calling. This heavenly calling, obviously, is the call to believe in Christ. It's the call of the gospel. We share in this heavenly calling. We have salvation through Christ. And he even referred to us as brothers earlier in Hebrews 2.17. He said, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That's us. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We read that last week. So he's saying what he's already said. And he's telling us to consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. I love how he's coming out and he's making it clear. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And what is this confession? Again, it's the gospel. It's everything we believe in Christ, in the gospel. Jesus is the center of salvation. He's the center of the whole gospel message. And he is our apostle, and he is our high priest. This is why, I mean, Hebrews is a great book to look to, to know why we don't need any priests today. You don't need somebody to, like, go before you to God, because we have the great high priest, which is Christ. We don't need a priesthood again. That was back then. We also don't need apostles because Christ, I mean, he's the greatest apostle. We won't go there right now. But read Hebrews. Christ is the great high priest. He's our great apostle. Well, there's no need for anything or anyone else to come. An apostle is also a messenger. And Jesus, we know, is the greatest messenger that God you know, ever sent to his people. Jesus was faithful to God who appointed him for this office, this office of a priest, this office of our apostle, and he's our prophet as well. The whole book of Hebrews is building upon this foundation that Jesus, he was appointed by God. He was faithful to God. He fulfilled the word of God perfectly. He is the perfect mediator between God and man. He's even a better mediator than Moses, and that's what we're going to see 
right here in, in Hebrews. He's, he was a greater messenger than Moses. He's a greater mediator than Moses. And this was important because this obviously book was written to the Hebrews, and they would have been not only tempted to look back at the, the old covenant, but, I mean, how easy is it for us to, you know, make someone bigger than they should be? I mean, we struggle with that even in this day and age, you know? We blow people up like they're the, so special. And I mean, Moses, like, if you want to look at what he did in the scriptures, we're going to look at that in a little bit. It's a woo. Um, I mean, he did a lot. So it would be tempting to look to Moses. But he's telling them to look to Christ. Moses, I mean, he spoke face to face with God in the Old Testament is what it says. But like I said, Jesus is greater than Moses. And that's where we're going next. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. He was faithful to God, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. We just said that. It's clear Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. It's clear. That's what it says. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So you hear a lot of this language about a house. I wanted to read Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. It was also our assurance of pardon, which is awesome because it, it just goes right along with this. And so did our confession of sin. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. And I read this whole chapter and it was like talking a lot about like the Jews versus like the Gentiles. And he's saying... You know, we're no longer strangers or aliens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's making the point that even Gentiles are members of the household of God, you know, because they would have thought they were special because they were true people of Israel. But now we are too through Christ because that's what we're going to see. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And this household was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone of this house. And this house we will see today is the church. Christ came and built his church. And his church is greater than what Moses was, you know, a part of. And Christ is the fulfillment, really, of what Moses, you know. We love Moses, okay? We're not... We're not bashing Moses. I want to, you know, we're not bashing Moses today. We're just trying to make it crystal clear how what Christ is doing is greater. And what Moses was doing was supposed to point to Christ. I mean, if we look to Moses, we're we're missing, you know, salvation. So, because we're commanded to look to Christ for salvation. So we want to be careful not to do that. I'm still in Ephesians. Sorry. (laughs) In whom the whole structure... I love this. The structure, the whole thing is being joined together, growing, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built 
together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, we're seeing this idea of a dwelling place, a structure, a house. And, you know, Moses was a part of the old covenant with the Jewish people, like where they had like, you know, a phys- they had physical tents, you know, where the presence of God dwelt. And what's so amazing is Christ is built an even better temple, which is his people. Because the Spirit dwells in us now, and the New Testament clearly says that. I'm going to read a couple of scripture references. You can turn there if you want to, or mark it in your notes and look at it later. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6. Well, we'll say that one for a second. <laughs> Do you not know that you are God's temple? See, he's talking about us using the language of a temple. And that God's Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells in us, and we now are the temple of God, like His Spirit dwells in us. And that is such a special thing that is only found in Christ. And I would also argue that these verses completely dismantle what I grew up in, the charismatic Pentecostal church, the New Apostolic Reformation, the list goes on. They teach that, you know, For one, they'll teach that you don't really have the Spirit until you speak in tongues, which is weird because the Bible clearly teaches that if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. I would like for someone to tell me today, please don't tell me, but think about it. How could a true believer and a true Christian have a portion of the Spirit, but not the whole thing? That just sounds weird anyway. It's like, I mean, can you slice up God like that? You know, here's a little bit of Him. You got a little bit of the Spirit. Like, that's impossible because God can't be diminished. How could you have a piece of God and not have the whole thing? It just, it sounds insane. The Bible is clear that if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Christ, repented of your sins, you have the Spirit of God. And I just, I just love it so much because it's, 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 it's all part of our salvation. That's really the a big key of the whole point of our salvation is that we carry the Spirit of God. And that's why some of the things I grew up in really, really do bother me because they're diminishing the gospel, they're diminishing the work of Christ, and they're diminishing the work of the Spirit by pointing to outward signs, connecting that to the presence of the Spirit. You don't know where God's Spirit is, and we don't know what God is doing. The Spirit is, is 100% sovereign because He is God. That's another thing. It really messes up even the Trinity because like, the Spirit is God. It lessens the Spirit. That's, that's what I'm getting at. It lessens the Spirit. The Spirit isn't goosebumps. The Spirit isn't a feeling. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit is Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, third person in the Trinity. And we need to revere Him as God. Amen. <laughs> First Corinthians 3.16. Sorry, we just read that one. First Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. We'll let the text speak for itself because we just explained it, but I wanted to read this reference as well. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. If you were bought with a price, wait, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Excuse me. Could be the coffee, I don't know. So, so far we've seen 
how Jesus is our high priest. He's our apostle. He's greater than Moses. We are now the new dwelling place for God. And that's what's so amazing as well. It also ties into how Christ is greater than Moses because what Christ has built is greater than Moses. We're going we're gonna to see that a little bit more later. Let's move on to our next portion of Hebrews chapter 3, which we're pretty much going to do the whole rest right now, <clears throat> but we'll break it up into a couple parts. Verse 7, and he's quoting here from the Psalms, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another... Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, and we're going to talk about this generation. That's why I'm reading this whole thing again, because it talks about it kind of in between the exhortation right there, which we're going to get to that. Verse 16, or 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And this can sound like, whoa, you know kind of scary, which it kind of should. I mean, there's warnings in Scripture that we should heed. This group that, you know, they sinned, they were disobedient, they were unable to enter God's rest because of unbelief. And I want us to talk a little bit about this generation. I mean, this whole passage talks about it a lot. Let's, let's think about it a little bit. Um, so, because, you know, he's saying that they, they fell because of their unbelief. And I, I just, this is going to be really fun here, okay? <laughs> Psalm 78 is a big chapter where it lists, like, literally, like, the specific things that God did when he was taking the people out of Israel and, like, how he sustained them in the wilderness. And it's, like, remarkable. It'll, like, blow your mind. And we're going to read it right now. And, and here's the point that we're going to make. Okay, I'll tell you the point before we, before we read it. If they could see so many signs and wonders and still, like, fall away, that should, we should be thinking about that. Like, wow. I, I'm not seeing any signs and wonders on a weekly basis. I'm not. We're called by, in the New Testament to put our faith in Christ. You know, we're saved by faith in Christ. But we're going to read this. And if, if you want, you can... Psalm 78, you can read it later this week. It's, you can read it a couple times. It's really fun to read. We're just going to read a little portion of it where it lists these things. And when, when you're hearing these things, just imagine being there. <laughs> Psalm 78, we're going to read verses 12 through 32. 
in the sight of their fathers, and this is specifically talking about the generation that Moses took out, you know, of Israel, or not Israel, sorry, Egypt. God used Moses to save them from Egypt, the whole Exodus, okay? That's this people, which is exactly what it said here in Hebrews chapter 3. <laughs> Verse 12, Psalm 78, in the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. In the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zone, he divided the sea and let them pass through it. He made the waters stand like a heap. Can you imagine being there when the waters stood up like that? In the daytime, he led them with a cloud. And all night, with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. Can you imagine water gushing out of a rock? And I would imagine it wasn't a little bit of water. Like, I mean, it, 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 lots of people drank from that, from that well. Like, imagine Lake Decatur coming out of a rock. I mean, it would, be, it would be very majestic. It would be incredible to see. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? So they're grumbling against God. Verse 20, He struck the rock so that water gushed out, and streams overflowed. Can He also give bread or provide meat for His people? Water wasn't enough. They were hungry, and they were tired of magical bread falling from the sky that they would go out every day, and they would gather and make cakes. You know, that wasn't enough. We want some meat with our magical cakes, you know. We don't believe in magic, okay. It's obviously God provided miraculously, <laughs> sorry, you know, the, the bread for the cakes. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath, and fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat. And he gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow on the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. Literally, birds would just show up and fall, and they would just go outside and pick up some birds and eat them. I've, we've been watching all the animal um, documentaries on Netflix. Um, like all of them, because they're super fun just to watch animals and God's beautiful, amazing creation. These amazing animals that he created them just how they are. They didn't evolve to become whatever they are. Sorry, that was... It is, yeah. But I'm just saying, so... But in the reason I bring up the documentaries is because there's like, you'll see these, <laughs> these flocks of like millions of birds. And it's just crazy. I imagine that may be what it looked like when a huge... Thousands of birds came and fell, and they just, you know, picked them up and ate them. That sounds pretty easy. He let them fall in their midst of their camp, all around their dwellings, and they ate and were filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them, and laid low the young men of Israel. And this is the last verse. In spite of all this, they sinned, despite his wonders. They did not believe. I just love this chapter because it's like, you know, we hear the stories of Moses all the time, but man, reading it like that and just seeing what they went through, it's, I mean, because you'd put yourself in their shoes and be like, well, I would have believed if I was there, but 
we have something greater. <laughs> we have the risen Christ, the resurrection. We have the written word of God. Like what we have is greater than what the people of Israel had back then and how many people you know, don't believe today. And that's even part of our warning to us. He's warning us to, be, to beware. Our greatest need this is something that was so good as I was reading that chapter. If, if You see how God met like all their physical needs, you know? Like they didn't even hardly have to work anymore at that point. I mean, bread was coming, the food was coming. And I love how the end of our chapter talks about resting. And I was just thinking, you know, God met all their physical needs, but they still didn't have true rest that they're talking about here in Hebrews chapter 3. And he goes into in chapter 4, this rest of salvation. And it also even made me feel guilty even of my own sins because I look how they grumbled against God even though they were so well provided for. And I've shared with some brothers recently, um, you know, my business, I buy and sell cars, and it's been, it's been a, a tougher month. And like I found even myself grumbling, like, Lord, like what's going on here? And as I was reading this passage, I was just like convicted. I'm like, you know, God has given us what we really need, and it's not physical. Our greatest need is a spiritual need, a need for a new heart and a need for salvation. And this also ties in a little bit. I was thinking about Moses. Like, you know, Moses kind of represents the physical in a way. I mean, he brought down the physical tablets, you know, the law of God written on stone. Like, that was a real piece of, like, a stone. And he, he worked in the physical tents of God, you know, preparing sacrifices and doing all that stuff. And, and, and what Christ has done is spiritual. He's done an even greater work, a work of the Spirit in our hearts. And he's built not like a physical temple, like this building we see here, but he's built his church. He has built his church. And the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to read a quote from Michael Beck. He says, Treasure the precious grace that has brought you conviction of your sin and respond to it with everything you have, lest it become this agent upon you working to your destruction. We're going to look now specifically to verses 12 through 14. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. So Christ has come. He's spoken to us in these last days. He's building his church. And here is this command that we should take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. And I'm going to read only one quote from Matthew Henry today. And it's, his, it's from his commentary specifically on this passage where it's talking about taking care of brothers and how we should exhort one another daily. And it is so good. So this is Matthew Henry. He subjoins good counsel to the caution and advises them to that which would be a remedy against this evil heart of unbelief, 
that they should exhort one another daily while it is called today. We should be doing all the good we can to one another while we are together, which will be but a short time, short and uncertain time, since tomorrow is none of ours. We must make the best improvement of today. If Christians do not exhort one another daily, they will be in danger of being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And this is where it gets really good. There is a great deal of deceitfulness in sin. It appears fair, but it's filthy. It appears pleasant, but it's pernicious. It promises much, but performs nothing. The deceitfulness of sin is of a hardening nature to the soul. One sin allowed prepares for another. Every act of sin confirms the habit. Sinning against conscience is the way to sear the conscience. And therefore, it should be the great concern of everyone to exhort himself and others to beware of sin. This, when I read this, it really hit me because it's talking about how sin is deceitful, but it, it, it hardens the soul. And he goes on and says, one sin allowed prepares for another sin. Every act of sin confirms the habit. So pretty much a sin will lead to another sin if we don't repent of it, if, if it's not checked. And sinning against the conscience, you know, God's given us a conscience for a reason. Sinning against this conscience is the way to sear the conscience. And, you know, this, what his notes on this has kind of helped me even understand how they sinned in the wilderness. Because you hear, like, all the things that God did for them, and it's like, well, if they weren't continually repenting of their sins, they could have slowly gotten a hard heart because of sins left unchecked, because of sins that, you know, weren't repented of. And, you know, we, you know, like repentance, is we know, is like a part of the life of the believer. Even, so those who aren't saved, we would tell them to repent of their sins and come to Christ. And those who are saved, we would still say, you know, Maybe there's sins you haven't repented of this week. Like, we believe that we need to constantly repent of these sins. And this is our great warning for today. Not warning, but it is a warning. It's definitely a warning. But we should be encouraging one another to look to Christ and encouraging one another not to sin. And we need to realize, you know, how serious sin is. When he talked about how it sears the conscience, I was like, that's, that's scary. Like, can you imagine being in a place where you let sin just go on and on and you don't think about it and you don't repent of it and you don't do something about it that at some point, even in your own conscience, you may not even see that it's sinful anymore? That's, that's terrifying. And by the, but, okay, as terrifying as all this sounds, we can look to Christ because we know that we can't do this on our own strength. We can't work up our own salvation, you know? Like we don't, because there's warnings in here about not even falling away. We are his house if indeed we hold fast this confidence and our boasting of hope. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It sounds like something that almost we can do, but we know that ultimately only Christ can save us. And we, so we don't have to fear obviously of losing our salvation, but we do need to take heed and to take it seriously and to encourage each other. And I love how he says to exhort one another daily. I mean, every day, like talk to a Christian brother or talk to a friend, talk to your family. Like let's constantly be thinking about how we can take sin seriously and run from sin and be greater sanctified, you know, 
Those who enter God's rest for all of eternity, we know, will be those who are truly saved. And we should take these warnings in Scripture seriously. We know that we cannot lose our salvation because God is the one who saves and He saves who He wants. And those He wants to save will be saved. Praise the Lord in that. He is sovereign over salvation. But we should take heed and be encouraged that His promise of rest still stands. And that's how we're going to end today, is thinking about this rest. We weren't going to get into chapter 4, but the very beginning of chapter 4 of Hebrews says, after all of what we've heard today, therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So, yes, fear, but... This, this promise of entering his rest still stands because of Christ. And we can enter God's rest. We can enter his true rest, his eternal rest, not a temporary rest. And that also ties into how Christ is greater than Moses. Because the work of Christ, what he redeemed for us, is a true and eternal rest of salvation found in Christ alone. want to, our last thing, I just want to remind us again that our greatest need today is a spiritual need and not physical. Our greatest need today, and you know, obviously we all have physical needs and sometimes it can be really hard to even think about it when a physical need is so serious, but ultimately salvation is the most important need that we have. And Christ, our great high priest, has purchased salvation for us, which is our greatest need. <laughs> it's very simple. Jesus is greater than Moses, and he has met all of our needs. Okay, I'm not going to keep reading my notes. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for salvation in Christ. God, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be saved from our sins and to have true salvation and to have true rest in Christ. And Lord God, I ask that you would be with this congregation today, Lord that you would help every person here to look to Christ for this rest, God. And I ask that even for some of us who maybe have had a harder week, Lord God, that you, by your Spirit, would help us to rest in Christ alone for salvation. God, we're so thankful for your word. Help us to take it seriously, Lord. And help us to love one another, God. We ask that there would be a great unity in this body of believers, right here in our midst, God, Covenant Reformed Baptist Church, Lord, that we would be a church that truly encourages one another, that we help each other overcome our sins. And God, we're thankful that we get to be a part of this. And may all the glory be to Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.